I'm Mary Caldor. I'm director of the Center for the Study of Global Governance here at LSE. I'm very glad to welcome Dr. Slack Golagumjia. He's somebody I've known for a very long time. We first met in Tuzla in the middle of the war. Um, I think it must have been 93, 94. After he'd spent a year in Sweden, having been wounded in the war, so it must have been 94, so it was quite dramatic. And we had some, there were some dramatic incidents, including the visit of uh, Dr. Lagunjia, together with others from Bosnia, including Dodik, Milorad Dodik, to London, just before, in 1996, to visit Robin Cook, which was quite important in a whole change of strategy. So it seems to me like we've been talking about elections in Bosnia for a very long time, and I would really love to know whether this time it's going to be different. Of course, I forgot to say, as I should have said, but I imagine you all know, Slatko Lagumjir is the leader of the Social Democrats. He was the Prime Minister, and so it's great to have him here at the LSE. Well, I'll, I'll try to, to speak from here, sir. The screen is visible. Uh, first, I want to thank Mary uh, for inviting me here. Uh, of course, I want to thank you also for making such an introduction about who am I. Uh, well, actually, uh, next year is going to be my 18th birthday. Uh, I met Mary when I was one or two years old uh, because uh, Back in May 22nd of 93, I was heavily wounded as a deputy prime minister on the streets of Sarajevo by one of the a few shrapnels who actually uh, ended in me, but I was lucky because dozens of people were not so lucky that very day. So that's reason why in my new life I met Mary back in 94 after I came back from from a, a leave from medical sabbatical, where I spent about a year. Uh, of course, I came back to Sarajevo, and then we met in Tuzla. Back in 96, we were in London together with uh, Robin Cook, the great friend of ours, great man, uh, who was very much uh, supporting democratization of Southeastern Europe and supporting the context of in which Southeastern Europe and the countries that are torn by the war will be part of European Union. Of course, I will not start with Dodik the way Mary did, but I will say something about it. Because <laughs> after all, I mean, he's an avoidable fact in this story. Uh, we had a, just hour and a half ago, I think, very interesting meeting with about 20 policy makers, opinion makers, journalists, analysts, academics, and people from the government prior to this meeting. And uh, one of the, my old friends, who I know from previous life, 
uh, who is now professor in King's, uh, Dr. Paich, uh, he actually asked me why the title of my lecture is the way it is. And after he made a few points, I promised to him that I will change the title of the lecture. Because speaking today about 2010 as some kind of year of new beginning for the country, like Bosnia and Herzegovina and Southeastern Europe, is maybe too optimistic for the circumstances that we are living in. So I took his point and I said and I promised that I will change the title, that uh, I will just add to this title one question mark and two exclamation marks. Why two? Well, because after all, I'm optimistic about the possibility that this title can end without exclamation and question marks and can have only one exclamation mark that this year is and will be, is a chance and will end as a chance for the country and for the region. So it's not about just having a, having a dream about a different future. It's about having a plan how to fulfill it, how to get there, how to really make something that you think is right to be reality. Let me go back just quickly and briefly, not in 96, 1994, but let's go back, let's say 10 years ago. 10 years ago, we were uh, starting a new millennium. In a region, the things were changing. In Croatia, we had a new government out of seven coalition parties who were run by Croatian Social Democrats with other four, five, six political parties, who actually won after nine year, 10 years of Tujman being in and his party being run in Croatia. In Serbia, we had a great coalition of uh, 17 parties. As a matter of fact, uh, we didn't know whether 15, 16, or 17. It was very dynamic coalition. But let's say it was 15. So, or 17 for the working purposes. Uh, Milosevic was overthrown democratically in Serbia with a man who was a great man. Uh, he's not uh, today here, which is so obvious in a region. Late Zoran Jinjic was killed in 2003. Uh, the man who really moved Serbia, who really managed together different political structures because he knew very precisely that the only way to get rid of Milosevic and his regime was to unite all political forces who will be against him. He was a great hope for Serbia and he was a great hope for the region. A few months later, we in Bosnia managed to form a government after elections, which was somehow on a wave of successes of opposition parties, anti-Tujman, anti-Milosevic, and anti-nationalistic bloc in Bosnia-Herzegovina. And since in Croatia we had seven, in Serbia we had probably 17 political parties, uh, we in Bosnia managed to create a coalition, Alliance for Change, with seven plus seven equals 24. Since Bosnia was always something in between, it was 12 parties. So 12 parties, 
created a great coalition, Alliance for Change, which tried to change the country. That alliance was there for less than two years. And then in 2003, we had elections, which actually in the last seven years are resulting with the government we do have. This year is year in which it looks like we are we have a chance to repeat to a certain extent, not as a farce, not as a tragedy, 2000. 2010 is a year in which we need some kind of new beginning for the region. The chances are obviously there because in the region we have relatively positive dynamics and in the European Union and uh, another countries that are guarantors of the Dayton Peace Accord have a growing feeling and consensus that something has to be done in order to move the region faster and close the process that was a long time ago started and given as a hope for the region. Uh, probably some of you can recall that back in 2003 in Thessaloniki there was a big important gathering. There was a gathering that was launched by at that time foreign minister of Greece Joris Papandreou, who gathered together 15 EU countries of that time in Thessaloniki, together with 12 countries, candidates for EU, and giving some kind of roadmap and some kind of very clear vision, with very clear strategies following that vision, about how to have Europe by 2007 being EU of 27 countries, not being EU of 15 countries. At that time, it looked like kind of a dream without really a plan. But 2007, everyone got there, including Romania and Bulgaria. So Thessaloniki is the sim principles, symbolically speaking, the concept which shows that it is possible to do some kind of speeding up the process of enlarging in the EU if there is a common common will of people who are running EU and who are really wishing to really extend the family for the other members of the family who are naturally there but are not ready in sense of standards and everything that EU means. In that respect, I think that we are having very, very good possibility and very good chance, a realistic chance, that today's EU and today's guarantors of peace accord, United States, Russia, Turkey, <coughs> countries who are participating in Peace Implementation Council, are all agreeing about one thing, that Bosnia and Herzegovina has no alternative, that Bosnia and Herzegovina has to be one state, more functioning state, united state, state that will, as a one state of a people with all the differences that exist among them, will get into the EU. Of course, it is confronting the current political situation in a country, because right now, in a country, we definitely have political forces that are seeing the future of Bosnia and Herzegovina in a different way. The reason why they do think, see the future in a country in a different way, 
is not necessarily connected to the old myths, old concepts. Sometimes the reasoning behind it is in effect that the only way to escape the responsibility for a country that is not moving in a proper direction with the proper speed that is needed by the citizens of the country, the only way to escape the responsibility <coughs> for it is to open the new old stories and to reopen the new myths and to reopen the new plans how to divide the country in order not to make people of the country being citizens of Europe or citizens of a normal country, but in order to escape the responsibility for a country being in a mess that it is. I'll give you just a few figures. Since this is LSE, and since that name itself requires that someone who comes with, a, with the thoughts about his country should give some facts, not only impressions, I'll give you a few facts. Uh, two years ago, we all witnessed economic crisis of a global scale. Uh, a year ago, <coughs> government of the country of Bosnia and Herzegovina said that the global economic crisis is not going to hit us because we are not part of the world economy. We are a small country, we are an isolated country, and we have our specific system, and economic crisis is not going to hit us. Economic crisis did not hit us in the first, first wave. Economic crisis did hit us in a second or in a third wave. Global GDP in 2008, global GDP that was in the area of 1.7%, went down in 2009, around 2002.2. Economic growth uh, became negative. So even we have a problem how to explain to our students how come that economic growth is negative? Because the word growth does not imply negative path. But we know what we are talking about. So the global economy shrinked in a year from 1.7 to <coughs> minus 2.2. So the gap was in a year close to 4%. Southeastern Europe in general was having higher growth in 2008 than the global growth. It was an area of 6.5%, Southeastern Europe. Southeastern Europe in 2009 was literally tsunamied. It went down to minus 5.4%. So if a global economy in a year had a delta, had a difference about close to 4%, Southeastern Europe economy had a difference in between 2008 from 6.5 to 5, minus 5.4, which is accumulating to the difference of 12%. Bosnia and Herzegovina followed Southeastern Europe. 2008 growth was in area of 5.4 percent, and 2009 growth or contraction or negative growth was in area of 4.4 percent. So Bosnian economy in 2009 went down in severe, in severe way. Uh, just to make comparison with some other countries of the region, Croatia's growth was 2.4 and in 2009 went down to an area of 5.5, but the difference was 
let's say, seven, cumulatively speaking. For Serbia, it was around eight, cumulatively speaking. For Bosnia, it was about 10, cumulatively speaking. That's not actually the worst part of it. Uh, some predictions, latest predictions are saying that this year Bosnian economic growth will be in area of 0.6%. So the country is going to actually remain on economic size of last year, which is actually still big difference in between 2008, which was actually negative growth compared to 2008. Uh, Serbia and Croatia are improving faster than Bosnia and Herzegovina. The reason why it is so, there are a lot of reasons. But basically speaking, as a result of the Dayton Peace Accord, we have two major problems, two structural problems. One problem is constitution in Dayton, constitution itself. Constitution was made in order to please the people who the negotiations were made with. So constitution was made for divided, divided society. Constitution was made in order to please the political forces who were promoting more or less, but who were in major after all, majority in Dayton, who were promoting segregated society. That's one reason. So one structural difference is the constitution that itself is promoting and supporting political forces who are for divided and segregated society. The second reason, what we have as a problem, is having in mind that the constitution is defined in order to please certain forces that were not seen as a future of the country. Then, as part of the Dayton Peace Accord, we got institution of so-called Special Representative of International Community, or Office of the High Representative, that responds and re to the Security Council, UN Security Council design mechanism called Peace Implementation Council. That consists of the major players of the global scene, EU, USA, Russia, Turkey, Japan, and Canada. So we have a basically problem that we have international presence that is part of peace accord that is there to sort out the problems which are result of constitutional deficiencies. So if constitution doesn't function someplace, then there is special representative of the international community who will fix it. What do we have now? 15 years after Dayton, it was so obvious that Bosnia has to go from Dayton phase to some kind of European phase. If we want to be EU country, we have to have normal constitution of normal country. And EU accession itself, it's not replacement for economic policy of the country. Country has to have economic policy. But country cannot have economic policy because it has no mechanisms for economic policy. It has international presence, which is there, in order to sort out only peace problems, not economical problems, not social problems. Not education, not health care, not rule of law, not social problems, and so on and so on. So the question is, now if we want to be part of EU, what do we do first? Do we first fix constitution and then get rid of OHR, or we first get rid of OHR and fix constitution? In that dilemma, we spent the last five years. And that's the reason why now it is so obvious when Bosnia and Herzegovina got status of country that signed that stabilization accession agreement, country that is searching for the candidacy status. We definitely have to upgrade, adjust our constitution along two lines, along EU line, along NATO requirement line, 
but also along the normal life line, which is having normal country, which has normal chain of commands of economy, of social, political, and overall problems that one country is faced with. Why I think that uh, 2010 is going to be the year of the new beginning in that country and in southeastern Europe. Uh, right now we have a few initiatives that are going on. One is Spanish initiative, Spanish President's initiative, to organize some kind of Thessaloniki-like summit uh, in May this year, probably in Sarajevo, on level of Ministers of Foreign Affairs of EU, United States, Ministers of Foreign Affairs of Region, and countries who have participated in Peace and Nation Council, like Russia and Turkey are. So there is a common will among PIRC or Peace Implementation Council countries to do some kind of umbrella, not for Bosnia and Herzegovina, but for the region, for the rest of the region that is left out of EU, to close the book. To close the book by 2014. To close the book by 2014 because if it was possible in Thessaloniki to close seven countries chapters, seven countries in EU, it is possible to make Croatia, when I'm saying Croatia, I mean they are, they are the best kid in our class. I mean, they will be there without Sarajevo Summit. They will probably be there, and I hope they will be there faster. They are there, they are there faster. We will get all there. And faster any of us get there, faster all the rest of us will get there. Hoping that by 2014, it will be possible not only for Croatia, which is practically there. For Montenegro, it is more than possible. For Macedonia, after sorting out the issue of name of former Yugoslav Republic of Macedonia, after sorting out the issue of the name with Greece, that itself will be checked. Albania has economic and transitional problems, but doesn't have state problems. And we have, of course, Serbia and Bosnia and Herzegovina. Hoping that Serbia, with Tadic leadership, finally will close the two chapters close the two chapters. One chapter is a resolution in Serbia about genocide in Srebrenica. <coughs> and another one is ICTY cooperation, which will end with Mladic being where his friends are. Uh, having said so, I think that it is possible that economical situation can be changed by political stabilization and by opening the window of opportunity for all countries of the region to be there by 2014. What, it does, what does it require? It requires changes in a region. In Croatia, we have newly elected President Josipovic, uh, in which Croatian people show very clearly that they want Croatia to be as fast as is possible, as organized as possible, to be meeting the rest of the Europe in Brussels and hoping to help all of us to meet there as well. Regardless of is it going to be <coughs> Kosor government or tomorrow some other government, Milanovic government, European card is not something which is divided in Croatia. So Croatia and Croatian, Croatian politics in Bosnia is definitely European oriented. With Montenegro, probably in the next few days, we may even have the first 
uh, agreement in between Bosnia and Herzegovina and one of neighboring states about borders in between our states. Just for example, Croatia and Slovenia hasn't sorted out yet, but Bosnia and Montenegro may sort it out yet, be, may sort it out because of the positive, positive impact from Montenegro. Tadic won elections in Serbia by promising and preaching that he wants Serbia in Europe. Serbia and Europe means that Bosnia and Herzegovina will be in Europe as well as one country. There's a reason why we can say that in Serbia we hope that we will have a positive impetus for integration of overall region in Europe. And then, of course, Bosnia and Herzegovina remains. In order to do so, we have very few quick tests. First test is test called referendum, because yesterday Milorad Dodik, as a leader of government in RS, uh, called for RS parliament to adopt a law about referendum in RS. That's his first test. That law is against Dayton Peace Accord. That law is against constitution, because no part of the country can have a referendum that makes impact on overall country. Point number three, that referendum is test for international communities to show that they mean for real what they already said, that the referendum in RS or any part of the country is illegal. And point number four, that call for referendum is the first call in RS assembly which shows that there is no Serbian unity, so to speak, because opposition, so-called Serbian opposition in RS parliament was voting against Dodik referendum. If that issue of referendum in RS gets sorted out properly, then we have the only one and only constitutional referendum that is horizon on a horizon, which is October 3rd of this year, which are elections in a country. That is the only referendum of the people of the country that hopefully every four years will be able to do referendum or do they want to continue the way they did or do they want to change. Why I think that on the end title, even if I add two exclamation signs and one question sign, may end only with one exclamation sign, or just like this. I think that the region and a country has no alternative than to get into the EU and NATO, and if this generation of people who run the Europe, run the Europe and who run the region and my country, if they, do it, if they don't move it this year, then they will be wiped out from the political and historical scene, and alternative is not alternative for the country, but we have to look for alternative political structures and leaders in the region and the country who will lead this way. There is no other strategy. There is no exit strategy for the region than being part of EU and NATO, and there is no other strategy for a country like Bosnia and Herzegovina than to be in EU as one country. Even if we don't do it, someone else will do it who comes after us. And that's the most important obligation of the people who are running the region today, not to leave the things for the next generations, just to open the process which may bring us together where we all belong, which is European Union, which is European Union today, but unfinished job as well as we are unfinished job. European Union is unfinished job until the Southeastern Europe becomes 
part of it. I hope and I'm sure that if we all have privilege to think about today's day in a year from now, that majority of you will conclude that today we were talking about the topic that happened to be the truth. That the year 2010 can be and is and will be the new beginning for the region and for the country because of two things. You have to have a dream, but you have to have a plan. And to have a dream only means that in 40 years someone will become a president on your dream. We don't have 40 years to wait. Even if today we would have some local Martin Luthers who would be thinking that the dream is there, it's not enough. We have to have technocrats, leaders, who will make that dream alive in a future that ends in 2014. 2014 in summertime, because at summertime 2014, if this becomes reality, we may say that 100 years after World War I started in Sarajevo, the wars in Europe really ended, until we don't close the chapter called Southeastern Europe, being part of EU, the war, war one, has not ended. And after all, the fears in my country are the result of 19th and beginning of 20th century. They don't belong to 21st century. That is the reason why I'm absolutely sure that my colleague, Professor Page, will on the end see me in a year from now and say, yes, yes, we were right. This was the new beginning. Thank you very much. Hello. Thank you so much for a very powerful speech, and I really and truly hope that 2014 will mark the real end of wars in Europe. But I suppose my very first question before I open it to the public is what is the plan? <laughs> and how do you change Dayton? Whichever you prefer. Well, yeah, sit, do it from here. It's nice. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, the plan is very simple. Uh, first, we have to make people of the region and make people of each country, especially of my country, to, to judge the people along their plans. Today, and years that are behind us, People were choosing mostly because not of the future, not because of the plan, but because of the past and because of the fear. In order to, to, to win on a plan, you have to create an atmosphere in which people will be talking about our plans. Uh, no, re no wonder why, why today we have debate about referendum in one part of the country. People who are adopting referendum, they know that there will no be succession of the country or division of the country along that line. But they know that on debate about secession, they can win elections. People who are saying that they can make one country tomorrow the way you want it, they know that country cannot be made one country by tomorrow the way you want it. But it takes a while, 
and it takes a time, and it takes a process, it takes a lot of energy. But by saying that they will deliver tomorrow everything, they can make a wins in a feared-driven society. Uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, last month, six months, we've been making a big, big uh, movement around the country as a political party, together with academics, NGOs, uh, labor unions, uh, trying to see what are the real fears of the people, what are the real questions that they're interested in. I'll give you an example. A uh, survey asking people in what, country, what direction the country goes. About two-thirds of the population says that the country goes in the wrong direction. Two-thirds of the country. Ask why. Why? What is wrong with the country? More than 50% of people are saying economy and jobs, or jobs and economy. 2% of the people, 2% of the people, are saying that the country goes in the wrong direction because of national interests. 1% of the people are saying that the country is going in the wrong direction because of constitutional reforms. 8% of the people are saying that the country is going in the wrong direction because of political turbulences. Now, 5 over 1 people are saying that economy is what matters, and overall politics, including constitutional reforms and ethnophobic, ethnocentric fears, are on, on the other side. But if, and what is our plan? Our plan is very simple, to, to free the people. Just to tell them, don't talk about fears. Don't talk about fears. Don't be driven by fears. Let's talk about the real issues. Our plan is very simple. We have a good plan that we made. We've started six months ago. We made it. We toured the country. We plowed the country without elections. About three, four hundred city halls meetings. We had people testing our plan. But in every town hall meeting, people were asking us, that's nice. We like your plan. But what about war? Will the war start again? So the plan is to get rid of the fear. If people talk about real issues, then they will choose the future people who are interested in the future. The problem of the country is that major players are interested in getting new elections only on no plan, or the plan which is called fear. So our plan is to make people talk about plans. In order to do so, we have to multiply fears by zero and get the result, which will just make people talk in different directions. The surveys that we'll be doing uh, are showing that people, as I said, mostly, mostly talking about real issues. But, but every once in a while, they get induced and then pushed by completely different issues that are in a rational sphere. Uh, speaking about plan in constitutional sense, I think that um, the country definitely needs a new constitution. Uh, I think that we can have two possibilities. One possibility is to make the plan about how the constitution should look like, make like Swiss-like constitution, or Austria-like constitution, or Germany-like constitution. Those are all federal states or confederal states. And make that, and then have that constitution, adopt it, and go. It's not realistic. 
it's not realistic under these circumstances that we can have some kind of leapfrog in a constitutional sense. By waiting for the big day, we are getting nothing. So I think obviously what we have to do is we have to, let's say, jump over that canyon, which is canyon. You can't jump in one jump. You can't jump over the canyon and triple jump. So you have to start making a bridge, some kind of transition bridge, you know, to get there and then to try making a solid bridge in between the canyons. So that's the reason why I think we have to do go in a process in a, in, a, in direction of upgrading first stage of our constitution, which is adjusting constitution with the European Convention of Human Rights and Freedoms, because our constitution is violating European Convention of Human Rights and Freedoms. That's one thing. Then creating mechanisms of the state that will give on a state level more functioning state elements in which the state will be able to do economic policy, social reform policy, educational policy, welfare, uh, healthcare policy, and so on and so on. So the first thing is that we can do is, according to the requirements of EU and NATO, to do structure and re-engineer current constitution in a direction of a more functioning state, which means stronger government, stronger government, central government, or BH government, equipped with the elements of every normal government. And just to make, uh, make a very clear clarification, you see, uh, if today you would make a referendum in a country about do we want to have federation or confederation, probably we'll get into the war, because everyone in the country would have an uh, opinion about do we want to be federation or confederation. But if you give a test to people what the federation is and what the confederation is, probably you wouldn't have more than 5% of people who would pass the test. But everyone has opinion about it. And majority of people are ready to jump into the war around opinion about something which they don't understand. Now, having said so, uh, do we want to be Switzerland? Yes, we want to be Switzerland of Southeastern Europe. Yes, but Switzerland is confederation. Okay, we don't want to be Switzerland. <laughs> because Switzerland is confederation. Everybody say, well, well, you see, they are called themselves confederation, but actually they are not that. Well, then I can think about it. Now, when you say, okay, in Switzerland, in Switzerland, which is confederation? Which is confederation? Uh, one Swiss franc that goes to the state budget, uh, on one franc that goes to the state budget, half franc goes to all cantons in Switzerland. And half franc, Swiss franc, goes to all municipalities in Switzerland. So Switzerland is confederation. And fiscal distribution is one franc for the central government, confederation. And one divided in two for cantons and for municipalities. Now, in Bosnia, we are not confederation. We are something. But we are ready to jump into war. Are we federation or confederation, right? Now, one, fr one <laughs> franc doesn't go in Bosnia. Uh, one euro, one dollar, one whatever, one Bosnian unit, one Bosnian currency goes in a state budget, one, together with the state debt repayment, one that goes in a state budget, seven goes to the middle level, seven, and two, goes to all municipalities. Now, 
in Bosnia and Herzegovina, municipalities are four times stronger than municipalities in Switzerland. In Bosnia and Herzegovina, cantons or entities are 14 times stronger in fiscal sense, in money sense, than cantons in Switzerland. Well, if you go through that small lecture, then we will probably end into the war, but now people will be on different sides. Because we will clarify what is federation, what is confederation. So our plan is that people talk about real issues. They don't get in the midst of the old myths, old legends, and debates about things which they don't understand, which their life will not make normal, but about the real issues. So uh, when Dodik six months ago said that he wants that we have confederation in Switzerland, he was immediately attacked by some parties from his coalition, from Sarajevo. And when I said that I'm also for confederation like Switzerland, I was attacked by people who don't like Dodik. And when I explained about what I'm talking about, then Dodik said that he doesn't want to be in confederation like Lagunji is not. <laughs> so I think maybe I explained to you the question. You
first, uh, Vesna, what you said about uh, uh, déjà vu once, déjà vu tr twice, three times in four, and I mean in every elections, uh, which is actually since 1990. In 1990, uh, people in Bosnia and Herzegovina were most, most of the people, most, the biggest number of people were surprised with the result of elections. Because, so to speak, ethnic parties, national parties, nationalistic parties, regardless of three major ethnic movements parties, won. Uh, a lot of people who, who were voting for their ethnic party since 1990, you know that very well, uh, were saying, we're voting for their ethnic party, but hoping that multi-ethnic parties will win. Because they were saying, well, I think it would be best that we vote for multi-ethnic parties, reformists, liberals, you know, Democrats, Europeans, but they will vote for their ethnic party, so we have to vote for our ethnic party. So a lot of people were voting for their ethnic party, wishing that another ethnic party will not win. That, you know, I will do safe vote for my ethnic party, but I hope ethnic parties will not win. Uh, that's, that's how it started back in 1990. You know that well. Uh, in, in 96, it was different. Uh, it was after the war. It was after the war. So 96 elections, we cannot count. So because it was post-conflict period, it was, everything was fresh. Everything was there. Uh, war was actually in our heads. Uh, and, it, and, and the major breakthrough actually was made in 2000. When people started thinking that Let's try something else. Then the, we had gap of expectations. I mean, we had the, there were, there were those were last elections that were for two years period. You know that every reformist government, uh, the history of transition countries from Berlin Wall, wall for falling down until today, is saying that every reformist government in transition country, there was really reformist lost elections on the end of the term. So if you really wanted to be reformist, I mean, you have to be aware of the fact that you have to basically speaking, accept the fact that you will probably lose elections. Then that's the reason why populists are making such a good result. In 2000, it went to that. I think that today things are a little bit different. I think. I think. And I do a lot that a lot of people think this way. That's the reason why we are trying actually to, to be part of the overall, overall movement that is actually asking people to think about the real issues. Uh, those surveys are showing something, you're right, they're showing something, in, I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, question made two years ago for people in Republika Srpska. If uh, Republika Srpska uh, status would be jeopardized, uh, would you take a gun and fight? Two years ago, number of people who, was, who were ready to fight IRS was in area of 24 for 25 percent, 23 depending on the part of it. Same question two weeks ago, done by for OHR purposes. Uh, 14 percent of people say yes, I would fight. People are some a little bit getting. You know what number raised up in Republika Srpska? People who say I would get out of RS, I would go to the North or South Pool. I wouldn't care. I would go someplace where they don't require a visa. Uh, that number of people is getting smaller. So I think people are somehow getting 
getting, uh, getting the game. They're getting what the game is about. Create the fear, create division. That's the reason why I think that uh, that referendum issue in IRS is probably going to, to, to show very clearly where, where we are going. Uh, speaking about OHR, your question about OHR. I don't think that OHR will downsize itself by the end of this year. I think you know, they were thinking about it last year. Uh, but since now, Dodi created that, that, that atmosphere and, uh, and, uh, and did a lot of things in, uh, in, in balance, some kind of balance with, with, uh, with uh, Dr. Silajic, I mean, in which they were practically, without being together, pumping each other, actually, to a certain extent. Being, by frictioning, uh, they were actually building up each other. Uh, that itself showed that uh, it cannot last. It cannot last. And the OHR now, I think, is not going to be closed down. OHR will be re-engineered, restructured, and shut down after elections in October. Because right now there are two options in a paper. One option is that OHR strengthened as a result of Dodic movements, because they are anti-Dayton, anti-constitutional. And another option is that EUSR, European Special Representative, position gets strengthened. And that we have some kind of OHR uh, function uh, moved out and being there in a small scale like, uh, like, like, uh, like a hydrant in a, in a wall behind a glass door. You know, hydrant uh, which is locked, which has a glass, which has an ox inside. And uh, you don't do it, you don't break the glass unless the fire, fire maniac is around. But if fire maniac is around, you break the glass and you take an ox, not the water. So do it before he starts firing. That's kind of OHR that probably may be happening and being there unless we get into the EU. Some kind of uh, international monitoring of peace accord like West Germany <coughs> stopped having after unification. But for decades, that mechanism was there. Uh, Speaking about economy, I, I just think that economic situation is, uh, I don't know, uh, did, we hit the, did we hit the bottom? Every time, I mean, sometimes when, when we think that we hit the bottom, I see someone knocking from below. Uh, so, so there are a lot of rooms it looks down there. But the question is how far it can go. Uh, you see, we have about 700,000 people who are employed in a country. About more than 500,000 people unemployed. Unemployment rate is 42%. It used to be 48. But number of unemployment, unemployed people were going higher, and then six months ago, government decided to change methodology. So that's the reason now we are down to 42% of unemployment because of different methodology, okay? Now, 42% unemployment, it is not known in your economics books. It's not known, 42% unemployment, according to the new methodology. Uh, old methodology would be probably 42 employment. Uh, having said so, on today's part of federation, on today's part of federation, uh, that part of federation existed before the war, but it was not federation. We didn't know there was going to be federation. But before the war, on today's territory of federation, we had employed people as much as we have today in overall Bosnia-Herzegovina. On those 700,000 people, 
on those 700,000 people, it's even worse. That's not worse. Out of those 700 people, 300 of those people are working in something which, which, which we can call business, production business. 200,000 are working in some kind of services, uh, banking, uh, uh, shopping malls, and things like that. And about 200,000 people are working in administration. So two admi three, three persons are working. They're paying for two in administration, they're paying for two in some services. On those three, two, and two, 30, three, zero people comes who are pensioners, who are kids, who are going to school, who are social cases, and so on. So three persons are working to make those two being an administration and those two selling and approving business plans. And 30 are around asking for peanuts. So the question is how far it can go. Uh, IMF agreement that was just approved, the wrong, bad agreement, was approved, which is driving us in worse direction, but in three years from now. Our overall depth of the country is 2 billion euros from King Peter, Tito, and post-reconstruction credits. 2 billion euros. Not much, but 2 billion euros. In our state budget, 200 millions are annual repayment of the old debts. This year, three governments, two entities and state governments, which cannot agree about anything, they agreed to get a loan from IMF 1.2 billion euros. 1.2 billion. This is the biggest credit loan in the history of the country in relative sense of saying. Some people are saying that guys who are, why I think that that the things will change. Because a lot of people are today running the country. They don't want to run the country after 2010 because they envision that in 2013 our annual payment of, to IMF will go from 200 to 700 million per year in state budget. And in 2013 and in 2014, in those two years, because the loan that we took from IMF was five years loan with two years grace period which means that in three years you have to pay everything. It's, it's abnormal money for economy of that size. So some people are making a joke and saying those guys are going to give you to rule the country next four years because you'll get the ruin, which will have to repay the debts in 2012, 2013, 2014. Okay, well, sooner or later, I mean, it's better to stop making ruin. What will happen with RS? Uh, the constitution of the country can be changed, of every country, and including my country, can be changed, theoretically speaking, with the war, with international conference, and with ourselves. Uh, with international conference, there is not going to be the conference which when someone will call us like in Dayton, unless we start killing each other like we did before Dayton. So since th that is not going to happen, since the war is not going to start, uh, then option number two, to make a new constitution with the war is out. So the only question, way to make a new constitution is to evolve it from inside, but with the outside forces like EU, 
card, NATO card, and real life card. I personally do think that uh, I think that uh, we will, and that I'm going to the third question actually. Uh, I think what we have to do is we have to go to the, as you said, plan B. We have to do that B business thinking. We have to do certain things on the business area, and that's not actually plan B. It's actually a plan B, because a plan is a plan to do re-engineer re the mechanisms, which is transform international community presence and transform constitution. But before we get there, really where we have to get there, we have to do business as usual. And business as usual is just as you said, I mean, uh, do uh, orient ourselves to the business. When we come to the business, I think a lot, a lot can be done in the plan B. And that's what this government and we are not doing in a country as much as we should because a very simple thing. Everyone was, was obsessed with a plan A and everyone's waiting plan A to be fulfilled. You're right that uh, Macedonia, <laughs> Macedonia is doing a do good thing and doing business, but Bosnia and Herzegovina was in doing business, ranked 116 among 180 countries this year, right? Uh, that's not the worst thing. You see, uh, Bosnia and Herzegovina is, there's even worse, worse parameter. You're familiar with the global competitiveness reports that is launched for the last 20 years and initiated by Jeffrey Sachs and then later on driven by Michael Porter that is launched in the World Economic Forum in Davos. Bosnia and Herzegovina is among 140, 134 countries. We are 109 last year. We're going down competitively speaking. And competitive support is even talking about big picture, comprehensive measure that is talking about healthcare, about, eco about economy, about small business, about financial institutions, about education, primary education up to research institutions, and part of it is institutional framework and rule of law. We are down in 109. When you scale Bosnia and Herzegovina on, 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 on GDP per capita, bad. You can see that Bosnia and Herzegovina was last year 76th global country. Now, 76 GDP per capita. 109 competitiveness. The gap is 32. You know who in Europe had bigger gap in GDP per capita and competitiveness? Greece. But they figured it out lately. Now, uh, what does it say? You see, if you're ranking in GDP per capita, it's, it's a quick it's a quick measuring mechanism, diagnostic mechanism, is, is your country competitiveness based standard of living or standard of living GDP per capita and PPP measurement, is it for real or you're getting out of who knows where? We are in the region, generally speaking, Southeastern Europe, generally speaking, has better ranking in GDP per capita than in competitiveness. Croatia is better than us, but Croatia is, has about 20 differences in between GDP per capita and competitiveness. The reason for Croatia is because they have big uh, national, international debts. For Bosnia, the reason why we can have such big GDPs because of those exercises like IMF agreement that I just told you, because of big diaspora that is sending, regardless of everything, to the country, and that's the country that we don't make, that's the money we don't make down there. And of course, still big presence of international community which, who are spending something there. That's the reason why we can, I'll give you an example, a country that has bigger problem than Bosnia is Venezuela. Okay, 
they are much better. They are 50 ranks better in GDP per capita than in competitiveness, but because they have crazy president who found an oil, right? So I mean, he just pumps, 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 and he makes GDP per capita. Is this country organized? No. Who is on another side of the line? You have countries like China, who is much better positioned in competitiveness than in GDP per capita. But what they are doing? They want to be the number one country globally in 10 or 15 years. They are practically producing today the goods which they are not eating, which they are actually investing in the future. These generations are making the money for the future generations. You have Malaysia as a country like China. There is also working for them. So there are, there are examples in the world which are different. We have to switch the mindset. And that's why I think that, going back to the square one, we have to make people think about the future and get them rid of the fear and make them to talk about the plan, the plan A and the plan B, and, and the plan S, small plans for the small people, about education, about healthcare. When we start talking about it, we may get someplace. Speaking about uh, Kosovo, I don't want to be the one who's not answering that question, but Kosovo is not concerned of Bosnia. Let me be very clear. Can we help in sorting out Kosovo problems? Would we, I mean, uh, Spain and, and Germany cannot agree about Kosovo, and now we Bosnians, since we have no other problems, of course, I mean, you know, Germany and Spain. What, any, what other problems, guys, you have over there in Madrid and Berlin? I mean, could you list that to us? And then, you know, like, we will sort it out for you. Kosovo, okay, what else? We have the presidency, presidency, that according to our constitution is running the foreign policy, okay? If foreign policy is run by the presidency as a head of the state, our presidency as a head of the our head of the state is three heads, right? So Troika head of the is head of the presidency. Now, in order to make a decision about recognizing Kosovo, they have to agree, three of them. Can they agree? No. But yeah. Sure, sure, sure. No. No, but uh, let me finish. So, uh, so what I'm trying to say is, uh, we, our position about Kosovo, I'm, I'm not talking about my, you, my private position. My private position is that we have more problems than Kosovo is, that we have to face with. So we better do solve our, those problems, because we cannot help. We cannot help. We can just dishelp themselves and ourselves. And after all, when European Union, when Katie Ashdown said, what is EU 27 position on Kosovo, we'll say we agree. And we hope we will by that time be EU country, so someone will ask us. So, I mean, <laughs> even when we get in, that's about where we are. Okay, thank you.